0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 43 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week we're going to start off with our usual roundup of CVEs and vulnerabilities that have affected the various Ubuntu releases, including one for Ghost Grip, the one that keeps rearing its head. Uh, We've got updates for the kernel as well, and uh, some HTTP2-related ones that came out last week for NGINX, plus a bunch of others that I'll go into detail. And we've also got a follow-up interview with Jamie Strandberg from the Ubuntu security team. This was recorded uh, as well in uh, Toronto at the product sprint a few weeks ago between uh, Joe and Jamie and myself. And here we actually uh, asked Jamie to go into a bit of the history of the Ubuntu security team, and that's a really great listen. So, let's just get into it. So starting off we've got an update for Poplar in Bionic and Disco. So one CVE here which was a divide by zero that would happen when a texture surface was specified with a zero length or width. Uh, This was found uh, by someone fuzzing Poplar and basically this is handled by just checking first for this zero length and returning an error as you might expect. So that's been resolved. We've got an update for Ghostscript. So one of the packages that I must have mentioned uh, more than any other in this podcast. Uh, this was one CVE here that, uh, that affected Xenial, Bionic and Disco here uh, yeah, as I said, we've covered Ghostscript vulnerabilities in about seven different episodes so far. Uh, I've got a list of them in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to the other ones. Uh, but in particular, all of these focus on bypassing uh, the sandbox that's in Ghostscript. So because Ghostscript handles Postscript files and PDFs and that kind of thing, it has a built-in sandbox so that you know, you can't do essentially arbitrary code execution from a PDF or a, or a Postscript file. So this was another way to escape the sandbox by using uh, various APIs and so we've updated that so that is fixed uh, related to this back in episode 38 i mentioned that we had updated the policy for image magic so image magic handles a heap of different file formats for converting images and performing uh, different kind of operations on them and it can handle things like postscript but it does that by handing off to GhostScript to do that and so we've actually updated the ImageMagick policy to deny uh, automatically handing off to GhostScript by default and so yeah as i said i mentioned that back in episode 38 so i just wanted to reiterate on that again because you know files are uh, automatically handled by image magic all over the place and because of the number of vulnerabilities that we have seen in Ghostscript, you know this is just a uh, pragmatic approach really to any future vulnerabilities that may be found as well Next up, we've got an update for MariaDB. So, we've got four CVEs that were fixed for both Bionic and Disco, and another four that were addressed only for Disco. Uh, a bunch of these were covered for MySQL back in episode 41. I'm not going to go into the details again here, but yeah, if you want to go back and listen to that, I urge that you do uh, because MariaDB is a fork of MySQL, so a lot of the vulnerabilities that affect MySQL also affect MariaDB. Uh, Next up I want to talk about some vulnerabilities that were fixed in the kernel so we've got our usual kind of cycle of kernel updates Uh, this week we're going to be looking at updates for the kernel in Disco which is also the hardware enablement kernel for Bionic and Uh, about two weeks ago now uh, the latest uh, point release of uh, bionic uh, 1804.3 the long-term support release was released and for the desktop this enables the hardware enablement stack by default so what you get there is you get the uh, 5.0 kernel from disco backported to bionic and you also get uh, like the xorg stack and all of that as well so basically updated you know kernel and drivers to run on your latest hardware uh, so yeah, essentially what we do is we take the disco kernel and backport its bionics, so the same vulnerabilities that affect uh, each get resolved in both places. So uh, the first one I want to look at for a vulnerability there was the latest speculative execution side channel attack, and this is related to the swap gs instruction. I've got a link in the show notes to some more details on this. But essentially, swap GS is a instruction on uh, x86 processors that allows you to essentially swap out um, memory from kernel to user space or from different uh, protection domains. And what you can do is you can actually execute that under speculative execution and potentially read from kernel memory as a result. Now, what you also need is you need an appropriate gadget in the kernel. That's essentially a, stru- a sequence of instructions that allow you to uh, infer based on what is in the cache or not, whether you know, a mem- an address was read and uh, as a result we believe that Linux is not affected by this um, we don't believe there's an appropriate gadget in the kernel that will allow that to be taken advantage of however what we've done is we've included uh, the upstream fixes or you know potential fixes for this uh, which effectively just adds in LFence calls around uh, the swap.js instructions that happen on you know, enter to kernel space or exit from kernel space and that then just makes sure that uh, those instructions are serialized so that any subsequent reads must occur after the the LFence uh, sorry after the swap gs to make sure that you can't speculatively exec- execute that uh, So yeah we've updated that we've also got updates for a couple different memory corruption issues in the marvel wi-fi driver uh, it wasn't doing bounds checking on various structures that were passed it from user space so a pretty classic uh, you know ability for user space to corrupt memory in the kernel and you could therefore deny the service by just crashing it or you know potentially get arbitrary code execution as a result in the kernel so that's been fixed. Uh, there were a couple different null pointer dereferences that were fixed, one in the uh, NFC subsystem and one in uh, that was PowerPC specific, actually. And that could happen, you know, if a memory allocation failed, it would return null, but that wasn't being checked for. So you would then go and dereference that and uh, get an oops. And there were two more that were also uh, noticed and reported and uh, actually fixed by Jan Horn from Google Project Zero. One of these was around P-tracing, uh, where when you were doing ptracing it would record the process credentials incorrectly so that a local user might be able to escalate their privileges to root in a scenario where a parent process was dropping privileges and then calling execve on an attacker controlled application so that's been fixed plus uh, a user after free when handling uh, local descriptor table entries for x86 as well Uh, So that covers it for the the Disco kernel and the Bionic hardware enablement kernel. Uh, We've also got updates for uh, the Bionic standard kernel, which is also the Xenial hardware enablement kernel. There were 32 CVEs that were fixed for that, so a huge amount. Uh, So I'm not going to go into detail on all of them, but in particular, that includes all the ones that I have just mentioned for uh, the Disco kernel plus uh, as i say a bunch more in particular there were a lot of different uh, denial of service type issues that were fixed all uh, these were relating from various null pointer references or divide by zeros or invalid memory reads uh, when dealing with crafted file system images and so a bunch of stuff basically to harden uh, the various file system drivers against file system corruption or you know purposefully malicious file system images that's you know things like xfs or x4 or f2fs There was also an update uh, for uh, the Bluetooth crypto problem. So, essentially, the Bluetooth or the crypto subsystem itself wasn't verifying uh, ECC parameters. And this might allow an attacker to effectively uh, force a weak key to be used in a Bluetooth uh, setup and therefore snoop on communications as a result because it would be able to infer the key. So, that's been fixed too. We've got an update for the kernel in Xenial uh eight CVEs for that that includes uh essentially a bunch that i've just mentioned the marvel wi-fi issues the ptrace trace issue uh, the PowerPC, pc null pointer to reference uh the swap gs speculative execution one and the bluetooth uh, ecc parameters plus there was also uh, one that i mentioned back in episode 41 which was a race condition in handling of core dumps they've all been fixed for xenial Uh, Finally, we've got an update for the kernel for trusty extended security maintenance. So this is the Xenial hardware enablement kernel. So this is the Xenial kernel backported to uh, trusty essentially. As I said, uh, because this is the Xenial hardware enablement kernel, this includes all the stuff uh, effectively that I just mentioned for the Xenial kernel as well. And finally, there's an update for uh, the AWS kernel. This is for Xenial, Bionic, and Disco, and uh, that's for the uh, SwapGS speculative execution uh, vulnerability as well. So that's it for kernel updates. We've just got a couple more packages to walk through. We've got an update for PHP. So two CVEs that were fixed in precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. Both of these were in uh, the EXIF parser for PHP, So, you know, the extended uh, image attributes in images uh, would read past the end of uh, the supplied data. So you'd get an out-of-bounds read, uh, therefore a crash denial of service as a result. Uh, Next up, we've got an update for WPA supplicant and host APD. These both come from the same uh, code base. Uh, One CVE that was fixed for Bionic and Disco. Uh, I've mentioned a couple uh, in this podcast in previous episodes around WPA3 vulnerabilities. This is kind of the latest one of those. Uh, In this case, it was a side-channel attack when using uh, brain pool curves for ECC in WPA3. So uh, for elliptic curve cryptography, there are a number of different curves that get used. Uh, There are the NIST curves, and uh, there are also the brain pool curves. And so this only affects those, the brain pool ones, not the NIST curves. Uh, Effectively, what you're doing here as an attacker is you're observing timing differences between various operations over a long enough time period to infer the resulting encryption key and so uh, because of uh, the differences in the brain pool curves versus the nist curves and others it's hard to achieve the same level of side channel robustness in brain pool compared to uh, the other ecc curves so it's recommended to disable the brain pool curves in the context of effectively wpa3 Uh, and you can find out more details about that in uh, the the show in the link that i've got in the show notes to uh, the vulnerability on that uh, last up, we've got two more updates, one for NGINX. This was related to a bunch of uh, HTTP2 denial of service attacks that went public last week. Three different CVEs that affected this and these were affecting uh, all of Xenial, Bionic and Disco. As a security team, we've published a knowledge base article that has more details on these HTTP2-related uh, vulnerabilities. Effectively, Netflix had done a bunch of research uh, to test the robustness of various HTTP2 implementations and found a number of different denial-of-service conditions that could occur. And these affected uh, different things like, in this case, Nginx, but also Apache and Google. Uh, to python twisted and a bunch of other packages as well so uh, there will be updates for those coming in the future too uh, but for now we're just looking at the nginx ones uh, three of them affected that uh, we've got details of all the different vulnerabilities in the knowledge base article which is on the wiki uh, and i've got it linked in the show notes if you want to find out more plus the original advisory from netflix as well uh, but the three that affected nginx were a zero length header uh, which is effectively where a client is sending a bunch of uh, http header Um, packets with zero length header uh, parameter and name and that effectively causes uh, the server to then consume a bunch of resources handling those and storing those even though they have zero length so as a client you're sending almost nothing but the server is doing a fair bit more work so you can get a denial of service uh, on the server because of that Uh, there's also another one called resource loop and finally data dribble which was where uh, the client would make a number of different uh, parallel connections to the server for uh, the same resource, say a 100 meg file, it would then break that into a single one byte chunks and because of the way that those chunks were stored on the server in a linked list, the server would spend a huge amount of processing time and memory iterating across these one byte uh, linked list entries for uh, that 100 meg file and you would be able to get a nice decent uh, CPU related denial of service as well against Nginx from that. So that all been fixed and lastly uh, we've got an update for firefox so this is the latest upstream release 68.0.2 this has been fixed in all the standard supported releases xenial bionic and disco Uh, in this case the problem was uh, that you were able to copy passwords uh, using the saved logins dialogue but without entering a master password even if one had been set so this would allow say a local user with physical access to the machine to obtain passwords uh, just by doing that without having any knowledge of the master password and that's it this week for uh, security updates. Next up, I've got uh, a follow-up interview that was recorded with uh, Jamie Strandberg and Joe McManus from the security team when we were all together at the product sprint in Toronto a few weeks ago. So in the previous episode, we had Jamie talking about Snaps and security. And so then we got Jamie to talk some more about the history of the Ubuntu security team. Jamie's a longtime member of the team and was able to give a really good insight into some of the changes that's happened in the team and kind of how the team started up and how it's changed over time.
1: So again, we have our special guest, Jamie Strandbogue. Hi. Jamie is a senior staff engineer here on the security team. But more importantly, Jamie has been with Canonical for the last 12 years leading up security and in various different roles in the security team for the time he's been here. So what we want to do this week on the podcast is get a little history of the Ubuntu security team. So with sure. that, how did, so you started
2: how long ago, Jamie? It's 12 years ago. I started out as a, the second member on the Ubuntu security team, uh, Case Cook, was the first member hired by Martin Pitt way, way back when. And uh, it became clear that we had way too much stuff in Ubuntu that we had to keep secure. Uh, We had things that we wanted to make. Uh, We had proactive features, which is something Case really focused on in the kernel area. And then there were uh, security updates that had to be performed. And it got to be too much... For Martin, he worked. I think it was the desktop team at the time, or maybe it wasn't formally that. But he wor- he was working on another area and just trying to do security on the side. Um, and so they had to hire someone, so they hired Case. Case is a great great person, great engineer, and he was the first one. And he provided the security updates. And I think it was it was within a year that uh, that I was hired. So I was the second person. Then a year after that, Mark Delorier came on. And at the time, we weren't a security team. We were uh, a sub-team of the server team. So we, uh, our manager was the server manager.
1: Well, it's kind of interesting that you say you, were, you weren't an individual security team, but you were still doing security work.
2: Oh, yes. All in- of us focused entirely on security. But we were a sub-team organizationally under the, the server manager.
1: I mean, that's, that's actually a pretty big commitment because back in 2007, I wouldn't say people were focusing on security like they are now. So to have three engineers working on security, even though it might not have been its own team, kind of shows how seriously we've taken security in Ubuntu since basically since the inception. So that's yeah. cool. Um, so were you, were you initially just focused on patching or were you splitting up the thing? So as like you said, Case was working on kernel. Um, how did how was that laid out initially
2: well i mean initially with so few people we were quite reactive because you know i mean the cvs come in we have to triage them all the stuff that alex talked has talked about in the past on the in this podcast and and we were doing this and trying to, to fix the things that would have the most impact or that were the most severe etc and so uh it was difficult to plan like proactive features and things like that. We, we were really focused on reactive work, patching the CVs, keeping our users up to date and secure. Um, but uh, over time we were able, you know, Mark was hired and then we got other people like Steve Beatty and, and John and, and Tyler Hicks was on the team as well. We hired more and more people, and we were able to, to focus on other things besides just reactive security because we were able to you know, provide the updates that we needed. So Case kind of, he always really liked, and still does, like the kernel, and so he, he works a whole lot on the kernel side with the kernel security, does great work there. And he was, when he worked for Canonical, he was pushing all of this into our Ubuntu kernels first as kind of a proving ground. So as a way to then upstream it into the upstream kernel. There's actually a good, a good point you made there. What
1: is, I think, really interesting about the Ubuntu security team, and even just Canonical in general, we're able to find people who are good at something, who are passionate about it, and find a way to make that work, to make Canonical better, to make Ubuntu better, to make it more secure. So I think every, everybody on the team right now is probably doing something that they would be doing on the side for fun if they weren't getting paid for it.
2: Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, that's definitely true of Case. That's true of me. Um, in the early days, uh, we realized that we needed a firewall. And so uh, I worked with Matt Zimmerman, who was then the VP of uh, Canonical, and we had designed what the user interface, CLI interface would be for UFW, or well, for what would become UFW. And so I coded that for the first release that was in was Hardy. And then we've had feature work for that since then. But uh, it's actually, I really enjoy firewalls, so I end up working on that on that myself.
1: Yeah, well, as a, as a network person before anything else, I have to say that, Firewalls are your best defense. So, yeah, I agree. Um,
2: I, I like them myself. Oh, and also I should mention that for some reason, I don't know why, but I really, really like writing security policy. <laughs> and it served me well because in the early days, uh, Case and I, well, Case really spearheaded it, getting AppArmor into Ubuntu. And then once I saw it, I was like, "This is the greatest thing ever." And I know John was on the podcast before; he's great, super smart, and he's the lead at Armor. And we have a number of upstream AppArmor uh, contributors uh, on our on our security team. But anyway, so uh, I wrote, I think the first two profiles the first three profiles i wrote for ubuntu where we shipped an app armor profile in the package that was on by default was tcp dump uh yay tcp dump tuesday uh (laughs) did i get that right you did get
1: you did get hashtag tcp dump tuesday every every week in in ubuntu (laughs) underscore sec twitter follow us (laughs)
2: So if you use RTCP dump, you're running the profile I wrote that started way, way back when. And then I wrote one for uh, OpenLDAP, for slapd, and for MySQL 5.0 at the time. It's interesting you said um, policy.
1: So you mean actual technical implementation as opposed to thou shalt not use an unsecured Wi-Fi network?
2: Yes, absolutely. So we talked about, the last time that I was here, we talked a little bit about AppArmor and security policies that that SnapD uses, and AppArmor is one component of that. What's cool about AppArmor is it can mediate a lot of different things. So if you, if an application, so it starts out as a whitelist, and you say exactly what it is that the application is allowed to access. So can it read this file? Can it write that file? Can it execute this one? Can it talk on the network, et cetera? And so I was really interested in writing really um, concise, strict profiles for applications that were actually usable to all of our users. So you get usable security as opposed to something that is kind of broken or only works for 20% of the people, that people tend to just turn off. The way that we've always approached policy writing is that if we can't make it work for everyone, we might ship it somewhere, but we wouldn't do it by default. So I have I've always been really interested in this because through writing the policy, I learn about the application and I've I've been able to learn so much about all kinds of different software and different coding techniques and all kinds of different things and it's been it's been really satisfying and, and interesting.
1: So there's interesting you said coding techniques there, which segues into my next question for you. At one point in time, you were the security team manager. Yes. Then you got another manager to replace you. Yes. Then you came back to be the security team manager. Temporarily. Then you got me to replace <laughs> you, and yes. you went back to being technical. So you you prefer hands-on keyboard more than hands-on PowerPoint?
2: Well, I do. I'd like to... Th- Think that I was an okay manager. Um, you but, hired me, so you know. <laughs> yes. So I mean, I mean, seriously though, uh, I do like being in the code, looking at these things, examining hard problems, interacting with other engineers. And in the very early days, when it was just me, Mark, and Case, uh, we all had to work on everything all the time. And it was we learned soon that we shouldn't be just a subteam of the server team. we should be a, uh, an actual team. And so Kay said, I want a tech lead." And I was like, "Well okay, uh, I'm not sure about being manager, but you know I, there's so much work that needs to be do that needs to be done. I'll do that and I'll make sure that, that everyone's taken care of on the team and the security teams represented. So I was the founding manager of the security team proper. And I did that for five years, and I enjoyed it. And I realized that I really liked coding, and I wanted to get back to that and and solving hard problems and designing things and architecting things and working with other teams in that capacity. So Canonical was great, and uh, I love working for this company, and they allowed me to pursue a role change. And so then uh, I defined the manager role for the next person and then hired that person. <laughs> You've done that twice now. Good work. I um, did do that twice. So uh, this is, this,
1: I think this is terribly interesting, but we've probably gone on a bit long for, for our listeners out there. So
2: follow-up question, Jimmy Page, Jimmy Hendrix. Huh. That's interesting. Well, there, uh, that's, that's interesting. I guess I'll go with Jimmy Page but I mean can you really pick they're different mm-hmm. in terms of you know their styles and their impact are both both profound love Jimi Hendrix but Led Zeppelin throughout the years I will pick up my guitar and I'll play a Led Zeppelin song before I'll play a Jimi Hendrix song except Foxy Lady <laughs> I well, like to play Foxy Lady
1: well, I don't know. That is it. Voodoo Child's Slight Return" the "Standing Next to Mountain" song. Oh, that's that, a great tune. And if six were not six, if a, if six was nine, yep. two favorite songs of mine. But I do love "Access
2: Bold is Love" is probably my favorite Jimi Hendrix album.
1: Some great albums there. Okay, um, <laughs> I I think I think we've kept this one on long enough. Alex has given us the signal to stop recording. So, um, t- <laughs> so until next week, it was great having you on, Jamie, and uh, thanks for being such a great member of the team. Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks so much, uh, Jamie, for doing that with us. And for Joe, I really enjoyed recording that with you guys. Uh, Let's make sure we uh, do another one again soon. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this week's show. Thanks, everyone, for listening again for another week. If you want to get in contact, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com. Or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network, if IRC is more your thing. Or if you prefer Twitter, you can get us at Ubuntu underscore sick. Okay, so yeah, thanks everyone for listening again for another week. It's been great uh, doing this again for you all. Uh, stay safe. Remember, keep calm, enable automated upgrades, and I will speak to you again soon. Bye.